Hello everybody and welcome to 13 Nights of Halloween Season 3 Episode 3. Now before we dive into the episode, I would just like to throw a major credit to Shujar's stories who have largely inspired the stories that we are going to talk about this season. Shujar's stories is a digital art museum that showcases African legends in the most creative way possible. You can find them at shujarstories.org. That is shujarstories.org. And while you're at it, you can follow us at Horrifying Club Kenya on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and leave us a comment there. Let us know what you want to hear. Let us know who inspires you most from this amazing, amazing shujas or heroes. So, as always, I am yours, Larry Sylvester. Let's dive into the episode. A majority of our previous episodes, we were talking mainly about Shujans or heroes, if you'd like to refer to them as that, from the western regions of Kenya. Now, let us go to the coastal regions with our first part of today's episode being a Shuja born in the coastal regions known as Moana Kupona, the sovereign poetess. Her name loosely translates into the healing child. Moana meaning child and Kupona mean, meaning hill. Moana Kupona Bintim Sham was born in the 19th century in the picturesque Pate Island of the Indian Ocean, close to the northern coast of Kenya. Pate Island was the center of the Pate Sultanate from the 13th to 19th century, surrounded by the island's Arabic and Swahili land of exquisite architecture, fine arts, music, and of course, poetry. It was no surprise that Mona Kupona grew up to become one of the most eminent and charming Swahili poetess of the 19th century. She authored the poem Utendiwa Mwana Kupona, loosely translating to the book of Mwana Kupona, which is one of the most regarded works of early Swahili literature. Little is known about the early life of the sovereign beauty, but she probably grew up like any Bajuni child following the beliefs, practices, and values that shape a person of substance. What we do know is that Mona Kupona was special as she developed into an elegant young woman. Her interest in poetry grew every single day. She was like a princess in many ways, elegant, confident, and boldly facing responsibilities, while letting her inner beauty bring light to everyone around her. No sooner was she ready for marriage than she became a royal bride, the last wife of Sheikh Buanamataka, ruler of Siu or Siu, with whom she had two children. Her husband died in 1856 and two years later, she wrote her famous poem, Utendi Wamwana Kupona, dedicated to her 14-year-old daughter Mona Hishima, loosely translating to a child of respect. Mona meaning child, Hashima meaning respect. The poem dates to about 1858 and is centered on the teachings and advice of Mona Kupona to her daughter concerning marriage and wifely duties. Despite the seemingly secular subject, the book is prominently religious and even mystical, and it has been compared to the biblical book of Proverbs. A few lines of the poem are dedicated to the author herself. 
The poem portrays a moving and warm story about a 19th century poet herself, Monacopona, who compared an utendi, an epic poem for her daughter to guide her through life. The story is told through activities and dialogue, serious as well as humorous of the girl as she learns about love, life, religion, and poetry through the verses of her mother's poem. This book is appropriate for teenagers and young adults. It is rich with detailed research about the life in 19th century Lamu and about the writings of Swahili poetry. An illustration of every page, musical scores of two old Tarab songs, and an epilogue that includes the complete text of the poem in the Lamu dialect of Swahili. Mwanakupona Binti Sham died in 1865. And just to give a little bit of context of how, where, and to whom this situation happened to, here's a little extra bit we like to give a little bit of in-depth information of our story. The Pate Sultanate from the Pate town was a sub, it was a sultanate from at least the beginning of the 13th century until 1895. From 1856 on, it was the domain known as Witu Archaeological evidence suggests that Pate was a prominent location in local trade networks by the 10th century. The 18th century was known as the Golden Age of Pate. During this period, the town was at its height of its power and also prospered in fine arts. Builders constructed some of the finest houses on the Swahili coast with the extensive elaborate plaster works and as well goldsmiths made intricate jewelry, fine clothes including silks were made by the parties, weavers, and carpenters produced fine wooden furniture. The use and production of the musical instrument known as siwa was most famous. Two examples of siwa still remain in the museums in Lamu. And that concludes the first part of today's episode. Personally, it wasn't as creepy and as gory as I was expecting it to be, but what really drew me to this story was the fact that a majority of the current like Swahili culture is greatly deprived of Mona Kupona and as much as it wasn't terrifying and gory and maybe tragic it just it just really resonated to me how far her teachings maybe that aided by the way it was easy to document some of her teachings but it it just traversed through many generations till to date and that is why her legendary status her shuja status is very 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 prominent to our season this year so stay tuned for the next part now welcome to the second part of today's episode and let us get right into some warrior action yes <laughs> we heard now let us move from the coast let us get into something more aggressive and more manly if you might call it that and we are going to talk about kibuka otherwise known as the thunderous legend from the tharaka tribe in kenya well in the oral tradition of the Atharaka, there lived a spiritual leader, medicine man, diviner, and rainmaker known as Kiboka. 
He was the son of Karikundi and Shiakinene. A married but barren couple, Kiboka was a miracle baby. Before Kiboka was born, Kirakundi and Shiakinene were very devastated because they could not have a child. This truly broke their heart and they were determined to seek solutions. One day, they visited a seer to seek guidance on how to get a child. The seer told them they will never get a child. However, the seer informed them that one day it would rain heavily with thunder and lightning. During the downpour, they'd hear a child crying, a boy rumbling like thunder during the storm in their cattle crown. The couple was instructed to go and take him home as their son. It so happened, and Karikundi and Shiakinene took the boy home to their house. Whenever they were asked for the name of their son, they answered, Kiboka, meaning the thunderous cry of a baby. Kiboka grew up to be a very strong boy. When the period of, initi <clears throat> when the period of initiation, Kumerua, a teenage rite of passage, came. He disappeared and did not undergo the process. He later reappeared later and, surprisingly, he was already initiated. He became a great warrior and administered Taraka warriors with charms during was to protect them from enemies in combat. He also led Taraka in many successful wars against the Akambambere Igembe among others. Later, he married and bore many sons. His eldest son led the Taraka battalion in every war. In several incidences, the son got killed in wars but resurrected by the power of charms and boast in his abdomen by his father. A time came when the enemy spies and a Taraka traitor revealed the charm in the son's abdomen. They killed him and couched out the charm from the abdomen. He died completely. The charm was a magic horn, Roshi. Also, assuming the, I'm assuming this term is like dialect from the Taraka tribe. Kibuka was so furious about the murder of his son. He cursed the Atharaka, pronounced that they will never have a leader. He then emigrated from his residence, a shrine which is said to be near Kiboka Primary School in Tunyai, location of Taraka South District, which is actually there today. The route Kiboka followed as he emigrated is alleged to have turned into a seasonal river, the current Kathabangare River in Tunyai. He passed by Kijenga Hill at a place called Kauguni, meaning at the port. Pot for like pot like which is pot not p-o-r-t pot <laughs> it is said that he left one of his cooking pots at kaugune which gave the place that name his footprints are also said to be visible on a rock in kijenge to this day from kijenge kibuka is said to have disappeared into river tana at the confluence with the river katheta the places he lived and paused are at are all shrines called in kideraka iri the narrative of Kibuka would take very many days to tell. It has therefore been broken down into series. The actions of this great man who actually walked the land as a leader of the Atharaka people captivated both the young and the old. And now for the sexual uh, and now for the special part of our segments where we give you a little bit of information of who, what, where and how. Here we go. To this day, 
people come into contact with these stories and visit sites associated with the Kiboka. These sites include the Kiboka Falls, which supply energy to High Grand Falls hydroelectric power station across Tana River, Kibuka, the areas and Kibuka's homestead as well. It elicits the same reference that was accorded to him many, many years ago. And that concludes today's second part of today's episode. Tell me, what do you think? Who do you think was a better Shuja? Was it the mighty Kibuka or the timid and very elegant Moana? That has been it for today's episode. We hope you loved it. Leave us a comment. Leave us some feedback on our social media at the Horror Fan Club Kenya, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And tell us what you think and what you would like to hear in our future episodes. That has been my time, as you, as always. I am yours, Larry Sylvester. See you in the next one.